Here at Shaun of the South, we're keeping our hands sharp with the help of Case Knives, the sponsor of this episode. A tradition of my family for generations, my granddaddy used to say the best cure for idle hands was to build something. But in today's day and age, everything's done with a click, a swipe, or a tap. But how about we put away the screens and put your hands to work with a Case Knife? Hey, you're listening to Shaun of the South, and I'm just behind me right now. Backline Bluegrass, Backline Bluegrass. Sweat on my brow All to bring a little food To your table And I've done all I could do But it's over now And you claim I just wasn't able But you don't know The fine side of me As the leaves Fall dead to the ground The sun reflects on them They still shine I may have fallen too, but I won't stay down I will rise like the mountains in my time Cause you don't know the fire inside of me It's there, so it's quite clear to me That you don't know the fire inside of me And I went back to the old place where we used to go It's abandoned and the windows are boarded up And I looked at the river with a smile on my face I realized it's still beautiful without you No, you don't know the fire inside of me sun reflects on them, they still shine. I may have fallen too, but I won't stay down. I will rise like the mountains in my time. inside of me. I'm going to read you a little bit of our mail, a little bit of our mail today from our listener, Jason Slocum. Jason Slocum writes, Dear Sean, I am hopelessly addicted to my cell phone. It's become a real problem with me, and I'm ashamed of it. I know my parents weren't addicted to any such devices. Neither were my grandparents, and neither were their parents. 
This is a modern problem, and I don't know how to deal with it. Sign your reader and listener, Jason Slocum. Dear Jason, cell phones. I wish I could help you. I wish I could give you any form of advice here, but I'm not addicted to my cell phone. No, sir. I'm not addicted. I can quit any time I choose, dadgummit. I can stop playing whenever I please. In fact, I'm putting it down right now. Just let me check my email first. No, no, no. Okay, I'm setting it down this time for real. Just, just let, me, let me look one thing up. Anyway, the thing is, I like smartphones. I really do. They're very helpful devices. They're very helpful things. After all, long ago, you could not look up the definition of a word while you were driving through 70-mile-an-hour traffic. Today, you can. They've made me into a vegetable. I know it. I used to be a boring idiot, but now I'm a boring idiot who just can't seem to make eye contact with his fellow human being because I've got a cell phone in my hand. My wife notices my minor problem. For instance, when I'm eating supper, I often play Fruit Ninja to help myself digest a little bit better. And she will explain particularly how she will divorce me if I don't put down my phone and all I can do is nod my head and say, yes, ma'am. Because I've devised a way of listening to her while she speaks, even though I am playing on an electrical device. This is just what we do. Just what we do. I'm a fake listener. I've devised fake responses to make it sound like I've been listening really well. One such response would be, no, sweetie, those pants don't make your butt look big. (laughs) Which is a foolproof response for fake listeners all around the world. But the problem is, Jason, my wife has no, no high horse to ride on because she is no iPhone saint either. Last night, my wife spent about six hours staring at her phone. That's almost an entire work day, if you think about it. An entire work day's worth of Candy Crush. An entire work day's worth of using her thumbs and staring at a little tiny white screen no bigger than an envelope. She scrolled Facebook. She scrolled Facebook. She scrolled Instagram. She did all sorts of things that we all do with our cell phones. And she asked me things like, Honey, do I look as old and wrinkled as my high school girlfriend that I graduated with? To which the only acceptable response is, No, honey, those jeans don't make your butt look big. (laughs) Yes, I know. I know smartphones. They've supposedly destroyed personal communication between, between people and handicapped American teenagers and paralyzed procreation amongst sea turtles. Blah, 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 blah. Horse hockey. I don't even want to remember what stoplights were before I had my iPhone. Much less what I did while I was driving a lawnmower at high speeds mowing my lawn. No, iPhones and cell phones and personal communication devices have taken over our world. They've made us into the grace that we are. They've made our conversation shorter and they've made our our communication among our friends different because now facts can be checked. No longer can a man tell stories like he used to that are blatantly false because they can be fact-checked right on the spot. Men like my grandfather and my uncles and my father telling their outlandish stories could never survive in today's society. 
They would be called onto the carpet. There would be flags on the field after every sentence they say. Yes, it's changed the playing field. If you really want to tell a whopper of a story nowadays, you've got to be creative. You've got to be creative and you've got to go way outside the realm of the cell phone, which is almost impossible. We use our phone for everything. We use our phones for everything from booking a room 10 months in advance for a vacation we're going to take to Spartanburg, South Carolina to visit our great Aunt Eula to, to, to paying our bills. I use my cell phone so often, and I'm not making this up, that I developed sprained thumbs, Jason, sprained thumbs. I had to go to the doctor for it. The doctor said there is an official name for this pandemic sweeping the nation. And get ready for this. It is called sprained thumbs no I'm kidding I'm kidding it's called the Quervian syndrome it's the tendon in your in your forearm that leads to the thumb and, and teenagers and people and housewives and, and godless redhead radio show hosts <laughs> have been using their cell phones so much that they have developed this sprained thumb the Quervian syndrome and it, it hurts to move their thumbs it's sweeping the nation and the doctor recommends that I find other hobbies besides Netflix. He, just, he told me that I need to shut down my phone so my thumbs can rest. And so I looked at the doc right in the eye and I said, Doc, please tell me that you don't mean I'm supposed to, to put this phone away for good because I can't bear sitting in a red light without anything in my hands. And he said, no, son, listen, listen to me. Those pants don't make your butt look big. <laughs> and that's letters from our listeners. Let's have another tune from Backline. Backline, everybody.
Well, this is the season of year when you can officially say summer, summer is here. Summer is absolutely here. It's here in full swing. It's here with a vengeance. This is the time of year when the local newspapers write, write stories about, about travelers who've been walking along the road or driving from somewhere to somewhere else, stepped out of their car, and the heat consumed them and gave them heat stroke. They got heat stroke just by breathing in when they were stepping out to go use the bathroom at a tom thumb. I just read in the paper not so long ago that temperatures had reached 108 degrees in certain parts of the American South. 108 degrees coupled with 99.999999% humidity. Yes, this is, this is the kind of weather that the people I come from Evangelicals love the most. <laughs> we love this weather because it reminds us a whole lot of what hell's going to be like. <laughs> and we like to talk about hell. We like to talk about it more than we like to talk about the other place because it's a lot more exciting than talking about the other place. The other place has a tree of life and a street of gold and, and a big, big river that flows along and fruit growing from that big tree of life which people can eat and they will be not weary. And, they wear long white robes and they sit around and they sing Bill Gaither songs all day long. And the soul can only take so much Bill Gaither singing. They can only sing so many, so many choruses of victory in Jesus. And so we, we, we supplement this by talking about hell. Because it's exciting. It gets the adrenaline flowing to think of a, of a little cave underground with flames rising from, from smoldering pits and stalactites and stalagmites hanging on the walls of this cave and the devil running around with his big, long, pointy tail and stabbing at people with his pitchfork. <laughs> the new church preacher at the Church of the Triumphant Jubilee, the little Baptist church out in the woods, they got a brand new preacher. His name is Brother Merle. He's a young man. He's a young man, and nobody knows exactly how he got to be here because he is from Minnesota. And the Minnesotans talk with such a different accent that it's sometimes hard to understand them. Sometimes in the middle of his sermon, he will say something like, Don't you know? We have no idea what in the bejesus he is saying. But we're not sure whether it requires an amen or, or, or a yeah, brother. But he will preach these sermons, and because he's a Midwesterner, he will preach them without sugar. A Southern Baptist preacher preaches with sugar. He will use a tone of voice that is just sweet and kind, and it's almost, it's almost so full of sugar that you could use it to sweeten unsweet iced tea. But Minnesotans... And he preached a sermon a few Sundays ago about the lepers, the ten lepers Jesus healed and how one only came back to thank Jesus. And it, it put a few people to sleep. Julian is a, uh, is a construction worker in our church. He's a big man, and he suffers from narcolepsy. He was in the second row, and he fell asleep, and he snores really, really bad because of his sleep apnea. The snoring got to be so bad, the new, new preacher, Brother Merle, didn't know exactly what to do. And so he just stopped preaching altogether. 
this is a young and experienced preacher for you because an advanced preacher would do what my preacher used to do uh, in my childhood. He would walk up to the man in church who had dozed off with closed eyes and he would look at him and he would would look at the audience, the congregation of God, and he would say, shh. And everybody in the congregation would get this giddy look on their face. And the pastor would would get right down in front of that sleeping, sleeping saint of God. And he would say, all of God's people rise to their feet. (laughs) And that sleeping saint of God would wake up in one moment and he would jump to his feet. And everybody in the congregation would laugh at him. And that would be the last time he ever fell asleep in church. But new preachers don't know these sorts of things. These are sorts of things that you have to learn through years and years of experience in a Southern Baptist congregation that gets its kicks by talking about hell, which is 109 degrees with 99.999% humidity. (laughs) But Brother Merle did his best, and after church... He, he shook hands by the door. It was nice to see. I love to see a preacher shake hands by the door. Several people suggested that we do a meet and greet for Brother Merle at the church. And to do this, we did supper on the grounds. Now, you will note that the only time of year that a Baptist will do supper on the grounds is during the summer, the most unpleasant time of year to do supper on the grounds. But we do this intentionally because... This is when we, we gather on the church lawn to eat and we, we, we sweat our guts out, but we do it happily for Jesus because we want any passing by backsliders who are driving by the church, happen to be on that two-lane highway, to see that we have eternal security and we don't care about the conditions of hell. <laughs> we are flaunting pain and suffering in front of the backsliders nearby to show them that we we know we know that we're going to be going to a place where we wear long white robes and sing Fanny Crosby songs all day long (laughs) even so church suppers on the ground are my favorite places to be in the entire world because this is where you get food that, that they will probably serve in heaven This is the kind of food that I would live and die for. I'm talking ribs made by Brother Danny. Brother Danny knows how to make a rib. I'm talking talking baked beans and potato salad. Potato salad is the mark, the thumbprint of any good Southern Baptist woman. There are all sorts of kinds of potato salad. And even on these food lines, buffet lines, you'll see more than a few kinds. You'll see the kind with mustard in it. You'll see the kind with celery in it. And you'll see the kind with hard-boiled eggs in it. Any kind you, you could want is on the, that buffet line. Sometimes we get an out-of-town Southern Gospel Quartet to come and sing, sing Bill Gaither songs. <laughs> we had one such quartet. They were from Marietta, Georgia, an out-of-town group. They wore double-breasted, pinstriped, four-piece suits, and they sang the good old songs, and they sweat their guts out standing on that stage and the only defense they had against the southern humidity 99.999% humidity was a little skinny silk rag which they dabbed their forehead with that had an embroidered cross on it 
And the little man who was leading the group was about four foot one, and he had 18 foot tall hair. <laughs> and every time he would hit one of those notes that required him to reach the stars, the note on the musical scale, which was high enough to break plate-leaded glass, he would step forward, and he would kneel on the stage, and he would pump his right hand at the sky, and he would grip the microphone in his left hand, and he would sing it loud enough to make Southern Baptists stop eating and stand up and throw their, their napkins at him and say, tell it, boy, tell it, boy, tell it, boy, or amen, or yeah, brother. And we do this in the middle of summer, summer. I went and found a seat next to Mr. Jim. Mr. Jim was an older man. He's balding on top with silver, silver strands of hair. He tries to comb over that, that little bald spot. Nobody has the heart to tell him that we knew he was bald in the 1970s. <laughs> Mr. Jim is an antique man. He restores antique cars in the back of a garage that he runs, and it's a welding shop slash garage. He's been doing this since the 1960s, and business has been slow ever since he opened. There aren't a huge percentage of people in the area who collect antique cars and need them restored. And so Mr. Jim finds himself with a lack of customers, but he has done a few good jobs, which he's very proud of. He's restored an antique Hudson an antique 1935 Hudson. He's restored Packards and old Model A's and Model T trucks. He's done a lot with, with old cars and he loves it. He's also very into tractors, old tractors. Mr. Jim loves antiques, but he's a little bit of what you call a hoarder. <laughs> Hoarding starts very innocently, very innocently. A man starts to collect something that he, he likes that reminds him of his childhood. And, and it's so perfect, it's so nice when he holds it in his hand or when he looks at it that he decides he needs that feeling again. And so he gets another one and another one and another one. Soon he is on the ultimate quest for the perfect trinket. Of course, this is a myth. And so one storage unit later that cost about 115 bucks a day he finds out that he is a hoarder and he is on a TLC reality television show <laughs> being examined by a psychologist. Mr. Jim was a little bit of a hoarder. He had that garage full of old advertisements for Coca-Cola. He was a Coca-Cola man. He loved old tin signs that were a little bit rusted. He loved old advertisements. Mr. Jim had next to him two men who were ratty looking. One man had a long white beard and gray silver hair and strands that were greasy and a greasy complexion and he had rags for clothes on. The man who was sitting next to him was also very much the same way, a long dark beard and a greasy complexion and, and tattered clothing and shoes that had holes in the feet. You could see his toes. They were sitting next to him at the gym with full plates of baked beans, potato salad, and ribs, and fried chicken that was that is battered thick enough to make most cardiologists say the 23rd Psalm. <laughs> and they, would, they were sitting and they were laughing and talking together. And when I sat down, they, they were telling stories. These men were, were friendly with Mr. Jim. Mr. Jim was laughing. He was quick to laugh whenever they told a, a good story. 
Those two men got up after they finished their plates and they went back to the buffet line and they refilled their plates. This is what you do if you're a visitor at a church supper on the grounds. It is mandatory that you go refill your plate. (laughs) Otherwise, it's considered rude. It is considered infinitely rude if you go to a church supper on the grounds and you do not get dessert. That banana pudding was made especially for visitors. And if a visitor doesn't go fill his plate with copious amounts of that banana pudding, why, you're, you can expect to spend eternity in 99.99% humidity. <laughs> These men must have known that. They were filling their plates. And I asked, I asked Mr. Jim while they were gone who they were. And he said, well, you know, you know, I was, I was closing up my, my garage late one night and I saw these men and, and they approached me and they asked if I knew of a church porch they could sleep on Mr. Jim said they, they showed up and they had these big duffel bags on their backs and they, they asked if I knew of a porch they could sleep on and I said well you could sleep at our, our church porch it's just up the road a piece but of course when you look at someone who has a whole lot less than you, you feel, you feel bad about yourself. Mr. Jim said, I was feeling so bad about myself because I got so much and so much to be thankful for. And here these guys had nothing. And so I, I asked them if they wanted to go eat. And he took them up to, to Mr. Valentine's Cafe. Mr. Valentine makes great fried green tomatoes. And he boils his ribs before he cooks them. I love ribs made by Mr. Valentine. Mr. Valentine knows how to make a good rib that falls off the bone. Mr. Jim walked them into that cafe. They ate until their hearts content. And then when they went outside after they'd, after they'd stuffed themselves fuller than woodland ticks, <laughs> Mr. Jim said they lifted up Mr. Jim said they lifted up army green duffel bags, which looked like they weighed 900 pounds. Mr. Jim told me, he said, these men themselves only look like they weigh about a buck ten, sopping wet. And they slung these bags over their shoulders. And they, they were about to walk away, and Mr. Jim said, I don't know if, if this is the kind of weather you want to be staying out on a church porch. It's just so hot. The men looked at him and said, oh, We'll be fine. We've been doing this for years now. But thank you for thank you for dinner. And they started to walk on, and Mr. Jim itched the back of his neck, and he thought about this. He walked after him, and he said, "No, no, listen. I got a room at my house. I got a room at my house. It's a guest bedroom. My wife always keeps it made up, and ever since my daughter left home, we hadn't even touched her bedroom, and so her bedroom is is available too. I got two rooms that I could." I could put you up for the night. The men looked at each other. They said, no, 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 we wouldn't want to impose. We wouldn't want to impose. And they started walking away, and Mr. Jim, he swore underneath his breath. He didn't really want to be offering this. He didn't really want to, to offer this to these men, but, but he just felt so bad that he had to. And so the words just kind of slipped out of his mouth. He walked after him and said, Stop, please, I insist that you come over to my house. Let my wife feed you. You can get yourself a shower. You can stay and and take a load off. So they stayed with him for a few days. And then Mr. Jim brought them to the church supper on the grounds, and here they were. 
They probably gained 18 pounds in the last few days. After church supper on the grounds, after the quartet was busy and they were wrapping mic cables around their arms, and after they were loading speakers into their van, they were about to be heading back to Marietta. And all the church ladies and all the church ladies' husbands were loading up card tables, white plastic chairs that fold, and casserole dishes were being washed in the church kitchen. These two men with the long beards and the long wiry hair and the greasy complexions had duffel bags around their shoulders, and they shook Mr. Jim's hand, and they said, we're going to be going on now. We're going to be going on now. But we just wanted to tell you Thank you. You know, ever since we've been homeless, a lot of people, they just kind of forget about us. We've become invisible. And you don't really know what it feels like to be invisible until you are invisible. People can just walk right on by and never even give you a second look. Well, sometimes it's nice just not to feel, not to feel invisible. Mr. Jim shook their hand. And he smiled. And the two men, they kept on walking. They walked down that two-lane highway that the church sits on. They had these big bags on their, on their backs. And they walked these slender silhouettes in the, in the evening dusk, walking toward God knows where. Brother Merle came over and he placed his arm around, around Mr. Jim. And he said, what was that all about? What was that all about? Who were those men? And he said it in his, in his Minnesota accent. There's never been a greater form of birth control than a Minnesota accent. <laughs> Mr. Jim placed his arm around Brother Merle and he said, Ten lepers, Brother Merle. Ten lepers Jesus healed. And only one came back to say thank you. Only one. Gratitude goes a long, long way in this God-forsaken summer heat. Thanks for listening to Shaun of the South. I've been your host, Sean Dietrich, and it has been a real pleasure. Hey, you just heard our 25th episode. 25 episodes we put out there in 25 episodes you listen to every Saturday. I just want to say thank you to every single listener who's tuned in to make this thing a success on iTunes. I also want to say thanks to John Crocker and Wally Darcy. That's the sound engineer and audio editing. That music here behind me is Jason Blue, Zachary Carter, Lewis Hughes, Caitlin Guardian, Travis Tucker with Backline Bluegrass. Backlinebluegrass.com to find anything more about what they do or get their music on iTunes. She is one of the greatest vocalists you will ever hear this side of heaven. Find anything more about what I do, you can visit SeanOfTheSouth.com. And while you're there, I hope you drop me a line because I love to hear from my friends. And friends, thank you for 25 episodes. And remember, you are unique just like everyone else on this planet. Adios. Adios.